Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Uber Neuro, the podcast that seeks to find and spotlight amazing people with neurodiversity. Uh, the podcast was set up by myself um, to inspire my 13-year-old son who was diagnosed with autism earlier this year. And so far, the journey has been amazing for both him and for us. And um, we've learned loads about him, loads about us, and I'm getting to meet loads of amazing people uh, on this podcast journey who have uh, a neurodiversity of one variety or another and are still absolutely, despite or because of uh, their neurodiversity, absolutely crushing it in their field and thriving and surviving. And joining me today is one of those people I have on the line from uh, beautiful Miami in the US, uh, Haley Moss. Haley, are you there? I'm here. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to speak to you. Uh, we've had a bit of preamble chat and I'm, I, I can feel myself just wanting to ask more and more questions. So I have a feeling the next 20 minutes is going to fly by. Um, so uh, obviously, um, tell me, before we talk about where you are today, which is very exciting, um, tell us uh, about the challenge you faced. <laughs> Let's see where to start. I was diagnosed with autism when I was three years old. So that was back in 1997. And I'm sure as you can imagine, the 90s were definitely a different world to be diagnosed with autism because we didn't have the same amount of resources that we do today. So we didn't quite have the same access to the internet. We didn't have as many resources in communities. And we definitely didn't have resources and ways to connect with each other like even on this podcast. So it's a very different world where my parents were coming from with me. And at first, they were completely shocked. You have to understand back then some of the only perceptions of autism and neurodiversity as a whole were people like Temple Grandin and the movie Rain Man. So where we were coming from was a completely different experience. I think I want to start with that. And at the time I was nonverbal. I was kindly asked to leave preschool. So I would cry and scream. I didn't socialize with the others. I had all sorts of different behavior issues that people knew was something different. And also people weren't willing to tell my parents when they noticed these things that something was different or you should get this right. checked out or maybe there's something wrong or something different. Back then, and my mom has said this many times that people just go, oh, she, she's a beautiful kid. Everything kind of evens out by the time they're five. Right. Wow. <laughs> and it didn't really go that way. So I started speaking about a year later because my parents worked extensively with me. I had speech therapy, occupational therapy, and we also did a lot at home. So most of my learning from how to speak or even how to do things socially was through play. So we played with a lot of cool toys. I was asked not too long ago what I remember about therapy or something. And I know a lot of people on the spectrum might say, oh my God, I remember feeling like I had to comply with something or I had to do this. And I was like, I just remember playing with a lot of toys. I had a good time. I, I wouldn't have even known it was therapy. You didn't tell me that later in life. Wow. That's obviously a sign of great yeah. parenting, I guess. They, they just wanted to let you focus on what you enjoyed. Mm -hmm. I think so. And I was always a very creative kid, too. And we always did a lot of arts and crafts. I've always been an artist. And my parents always, always, always encouraged me to do anything that I wanted. So... I really am grateful and I really do owe a lot to my family. And I think that sometimes people don't realize how much I owe to them. Even today, they are my biggest supporters and biggest cheerleaders. And 
With autism, I think something worth noting as well is it's not that you necessarily like grow out of it. It's just that the challenges kind of change as you get older as well and throughout the lifespan. So when we're talking about three-year-olds who are nonverbal, their challenges are definitely a lot different than someone who is about 25. So I'm going to be 25 this week, which is really, really exciting. And at 25, the things that affect me versus that affect a young kid are very different. So for me, my biggest challenges come from living on my own, having a job, all these other things that we hear a lot about with neurodiversity. We hear about autistic adults. Yeah. And obviously uh, you're, you're, and we're going to talk about your career in a minute. You know, your mm-hmm. abilities, your abilities have exceeded any, uh, anything in your way anyway. So mm-hmm. see, from, from a nonverbal three-year-old uh, mm-hmm. to the 25-year-old I'm talking today, and we haven't told everyone what you do for a living yet, which I think <laughs> is going to kind of blow people away. You know, that, that's, a, that's a huge journey. And it just shows for me, the mm-hmm. possibility, right? You know, it's not um, mm-hmm. the great thing about autism is actually very little is set in stone with any individual. It's so true that nothing is necessarily set in stone, but I also think it's not the same as overcoming autism. I think sure. because of autism, I am who I am. I don't yeah. feel it's a despite. I think it's, I am exactly who I am. And at the same time, I wouldn't trade it for the world. These are the cards that I've been dealt. So I don't know what it's like to be neurotypical, for instance. I'm never going to know, just like I'm never going to know what it was like if I were born a boy, if I were born in 1954 instead of 1994, things like that. I just will never know those things, and I'm okay with that. This is the life that I've been given, and I'm doing my best to make the most of it. It's interesting. Um, I I think that's a really good point. Um, You know, the the relativism of neurodiversity and neurotypical. You know, my son often describes to me how he would interact with other kids at school who had autism and mm-hmm. their, their autism was completely a different shape to his. And when we tried to think about it, he would always describe it as, a, as a, you know, the spectrum isn't actually like a line from A to B and you are a place. In his mind, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a 360 degree sphere with you know, a multitude of uh, variables that one could be different uh, in relation to some auditory, some sensory, some verbal, some visual, some mm-hmm. whatever. And so actually, you know, even um, even as an autistic person, I think he felt neurotypical in the sense that he was who he was. He didn't have any ability mm-hmm. to understand what what anyone else was going through. And actually, I think that's quite quite empowering because we should all as human beings whether we are uh, have autism or not hold that view none mm-hmm. of us really understand what anyone else is going through and i was speaking to, exactly uh, i was speaking to kelly barker recently who's a british mum who started a, a sensory uh, a clothing company for kids with sensory disorders it's called born anxious it's really cool and um, mm-hmm. you know she said it's just about being more kind to people whether we have autism or not, if we can all just understand that whatever someone else is going through is different to us, then the world would be a better place. And I completely agree. And, and what triggered me in thinking that was, you know, you said something really powerful there. These are the cards I've been done. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And, and that's because this, mm-hmm. this is your normal, right? So, you know, what's diverse to some is typical 
to others, right? Absolutely. I do think that even with what your son was saying in the classroom with other autistic kids and students, that is so true. Is I would always think that like, maybe I'm not the same as them. And I realize that we're all kind of brought together by a common experience, that maybe it is that certain sensory things are hard or that living independently is hard because there are things that I'll go online and I'll connect with other autistic people and it seems to be normal almost, but certain experiences are hard. And then I realized that the experiences that we all seem to have in common is that society looks at you differently and that's not always a good thing. And it's up to us to help change that perception. And that's something that I actively try to do is that no matter where on the spectrum you may fall or what needs you may have is that society might see you as less they might have preconceived notions and stereotypes of what you're good at. I know even earlier in the show, or before the show, you and I were talking about technology and people on the spectrum being suited for tech jobs. And that's when I also think, okay, that's the biggest stereotype out there. What if you're not suited for tech jobs? Sure. I am not someone, I'm not in a tech field. I am not some, I am also not what we think of as our autism stereotypes is we think of young boys. And sure. when we think about women, when we think about women, we have a whole other subset of concerns in ways that we are different and things like that too. And the more you think about it, the more neurodiversity needs to really be intersectional at all levels. So whether it's where in the world you're from, your gender, your race, your sexual yeah. orientation, yeah. any of that. So I think it's really an interesting thing to think about is that there is no one version of autism and it's kind of dangerous that people assume that there is. Yeah. Just like your son's picking out at school, but he might not be exactly the same at, or the same version of autism that his classmates and friends have. But we yeah. do have the shared experience of somehow being marginalized, seen as less, and having to overcome the attitudes that society has based on what they already believe. Yeah, completely get that. And, and you know, I'm learning a long way through this journey as well. And, you know, I just learned something really important. Even, even, even me, even I hold that stereotype of tech. And, it, and it's so, I mean, that's, that's, I guess, the wonderful thing that autism uh, in, in many respects has brought to me and to hopefully the rest of the world. I guess there's a wider theme here that actually, you know, mm-hmm. this, this, uh, this um, entire uh, um, world of uh, different varied ways of understanding and interpreting the world is just a microcosm mm-hmm. of how different we all are autistic or not. And there is, you know, I guess it's the biggest argument against any stereotype in any sphere, in any way, because it's always an assumption and it's more often than not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I totally agree the difference, you know, the first thing I learned when I went on a, a parenting course about autism was the difference mm-hmm. Uh, between uh, or the the diagnosis difference between boys and girls mm-hmm. that, that girls are still hugely missed not diagnosed or non-diagnosed or undiagnosed mm-hmm. and so there is mm-hmm. a whole sense of there are so many different experiences within ASD uh, and yet the unifying point is that you're all kind of going through something that's similar in its you know in its in its diversity, but not much similar after that, I guess, you know, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a world defined uh, by its uniqueness. Absolutely. Amazing. So tell us what happened next. I mean, that set the scene amazingly. Tell us what happened next. Obviously, uh, you know, as you progress through school, um, you know, um, 
before you get to where you are now and today, but what did, I guess, what did sort of 15 to 24 look like? How did you, how did you adjust, cope? You know, what, what happened next? Okay. So I guess we can start about 15 year old me that I was a sophomore in high school. So I was in 10th grade and I actually had written my first book, which was really, really an incredible experience. I could be here all day long telling you what it's like to write a book and everything that goes into that. I was on national television at 15 to get to talk about my book, which was about middle school and being on the spectrum and trying to help other kids get through adolescence and all that stuff. So kids that are about 11 to 14, somewhere in that age range, that there's just so much to learn. There's so much to get done. And hoping that I could spearhead because I went to three schools in three years. So that was kind of the big catalyst in getting involved in advocacy. Other than when I was 13, I spoke at a conference for the first time. And it was the first time I really got to talk about autism. And I did it because I wanted to give back. I wanted, I was hoping that, you know, if I share something from my story or my journey so far, and it helps someone else, then it's worth it. And that's kind of the attitude that I've always taken. And now I feel like I get to do that every single day. And now I think, how can I do something that makes a stamp on the universe? That when I'm no longer here, something that I've done or something that I've helped start or was a part of continues on and makes this world better for the next generation. So I always think about kids and teenagers on the spectrum right now and hope that something that I do today will make their path a little bit easier, a little bit better of a world that Gen Z, which is their generation, does better than mine did. So that's something that I think about a lot. So after about 15 or so, I did end up, and I did graduate high school. I went to college at the University of Florida. So go Gators if anyone is listening. Um, <laughs> I majored in psychology and criminal justice, basically. Well, it was called criminology and law, but criminal justice is the easy way to understand what I actually did. I graduated early, so I graduated in three years, and then I went to law school at the University of Miami. I graduated last year. I was my class-elected speaker, actually, so I got to speak at graduation. It was one of the highlights of my academic career and probably one of of the biggest highlights of my life, honestly, other than writing another book in college and getting to do all that fun stuff. So my parents still talk about graduation like, every time I talk to them, it's really cute. And it's funny because I've seen the videos of my graduation so many times and I can't tell you what I was saying, even though I wrote the speech, I rehearsed it. I knew it very, very well because it's just one of those things that as a moment in time is so incredible and so overwhelming. And also the lights on the stage were so bright that I couldn't see my notes. And I was really just focused on getting through it without flubbing too badly or making it look like I didn't know what I was doing because it was just so bright out. (laughs) Amazing. And so after that, I took the bar exam. I passed. So I'm a licensed attorney. I practice law. I work full time. It's a lot of fun. It's a huge journey. And when I'm not doing legal work and I'm not at my real adult big girl job. This is my first job, so it's very exciting. Wow. When I'm not doing this, I get to travel, I get to speak, I get to talk about autism, I get to talk about diversity and inclusion for lawyers, I get to do all sorts of wonderful things to help bring neurodiversity into the workplace and at all aspects of our lives because inclusion belongs everywhere. It belongs for everybody. It's not just people who might have fewer needs that might be a tech genius or somebody who can go to law school. I think that inclusion really means everybody has a seat at the table and everybody's voice is heard. 
So that's something that I really try to keep pushing. And I'm really excited that even in my job right now, and even with other lawyers, we get to talk about how, yeah, disability is diversity. So it's really, really an exciting time, I think, going forward. And it's something that I really am enjoying. And my journey is still going. It's not over yet whatsoever. It's just beginning in a sense. I mean, when I got sworn in as an attorney, I went viral. It was the coolest thing that could have ever happened. And I realized I'm not just doing this because it's fun or whatever. It's also just, I have a platform. I'm grateful for all that I've had in the last couple of months, especially since getting sworn in and becoming an attorney. And it's how can I use my voice to help make things better for others? Because people wanted to listen to what I had to say and see my journey. And I thought, how can I do this or share this in a way that is constructive? Amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of, it's very rare, Haley, that I'm speechless, but I find myself relatively speechless right now. Um, I'm just trying to imagine, you know, you said something really powerful and I'm kind of stuck on it. Um, that every time you speak to your parents, you know, they're just talking about it and kind of, and how cute that is. And I imagine, cause I'm a parent of, of a kid with autism. Right. And so I imagine mm-hmm. how I'll feel, you know, my son's 13. Uh, I imagine how I'll feel mm-hmm. when my son is 33 and collecting the Oscar for the greatest ever uh, movie, because he's going to be an incredible scriptwriter. He's an amazing storyteller. Um, and, and, you know, I can kind of, uh, you know, if that happens to me, if, if, uh, you know, and your parents had a non-verbal autistic child at three who's now graduated mm-hmm. uh, law school and is the class speaker. You know, I'd pretty much talk mm-hmm. about it all the time too. So I kind of, mm-hmm. I think for them, it's a different journey to the journey you've experienced. But, you know, from them mm-hmm. looking out, it, it's an incredible, you know, vindication of staying the course letting you follow mm-hmm. your bliss just keeping you happy exploring the world but it's not school isn't what necessarily created you it was the love and the play and the just, absolutely you know school is just kind of the the i guess the the path that one goes down but yeah so mm-hmm. that that's amazing i mean anyone that's listening to this is probably equally as amazed and i think it's really breaking uh, importantly, breaking the stereotypes of autism. You know, you talked about Rain Man and um, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, Temple Grandin. Um, and, you mm-hmm. know, and I think people, you know, that's what the media fed us, right? I was born in 1970. Exactly. So up until probably, I don't know, the mid 90s, uh, there was an amazing kid. Uh, I, I actually missaid his name on the last podcast. I called him Stephen Hampshire. He's not. Uh, I think he what was his name. This this is the first kid uh, uh, I um, uh, I heard of that had autism in the press. And his name it's not Stephen Hampshire. It's uh, he's a uh, oh man, that's going to kill me. Is it is uh, it the artist? Yeah, Stephen Wiltshire. I think I, got, I was gonna say Stephen Wiltshire because I don't know yeah. if he was able to paint like cityscapes from memory. I thought it was oh cool man, the guy, and he's the same. Eight he ways, is so roughly. talented. He is. I mean, they t- you know I remember seeing they took him up in a helicopter over New York, and mm-hmm. and and he was blindfolded and he had like ten seconds to see the skyline and then he went into a warehouse and he drew the skyline and when I say the skyline, I mean every window in every building. Mm-hmm. You know, it was perfect. Oh, I mean, you know, 
Rain Man is like miles away. That's the that's the stereotype mm-hmm. I want to see. So that's why I created Uber Neuro because for me, mm-hmm. from what I can see, it's it's a whole host of superpowers actually. It's powers mm-hmm. focuses that uh, you know uh, neurotypical people don't have actually. So I don't, I don't. Uh, as as a parent, I'm only exposed to a small amount of autism in my son and the people I meet and speak to. And I only seem to be meeting incredible people <laughs> who are doing amazing things. So, you know, when I think back to Rain Man, that was a real injustice, actually, uh, to people with autism. Um, I think that was a real... Um, it kind of makes me a bit angry, actually, because, you know, it just seems such an extreme case. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I mean that's my, you know. My, oh, I'm I'm not denying that Rain Man <laughs> might be people's, some people's reality. Sure. It's certainly not mine. It's certainly not yours. And I think yeah. that's when we go yeah. to speak about this spectrum, and it's not this linear thing. Yeah. There are so many different experiences. You do have Temple Grandin experiences. You do have Rain Man experiences. You have the experiences of your son, and every guest you've had on the show sure. is that it is so varied. Yeah, massively. Absolutely. And it's important to do, I think it's just, that's why I think it's important that you do have this podcast as well, is that you're able to bring so many different voices to the table and help amplify what autism looks like from the everyday experts. So I'm not discounting the parents and the professionals and the researchers and the doctors or anything. I'm just saying that they're definitely experts in their fields. I'm just saying that we are the everyday experts. So I can tell you what goes on in my own head (laughs) any day of the week or why something might be hard. So I'm like, so I always think it's really cool, especially because so many organizations and so many people don't always listen to the experiences of those on the spectrum. And that's kind of my biggest frustration is representation. Is I always think it's really strange when you see an organization, for instance, that'll be like, yeah, I want to work with autistic people or we're going to help autistic people. And there are no autistic people in the leadership. And it just baffles me. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I, I think it's a learning journey. And, I, and, and you know, mm-hmm. people don't necessarily realize they're even doing something wrong until they're shown. And then they react in one of two ways. Mm-hmm. And this cuts across everything, right? You know, people either get defensive mm-hmm. or, they, or they get coachable, you know? Uh, exactly. It's, I see everything as a way, as a gentle teaching opportunity or yeah. just something to kind of, you know, we can educate each other. And I'm learning too. I mean... I think that's something that I have to always make clear to people is I don't know everything either. I know my experience. I know what I can hopefully learn from other people's experiences. Like I also am a podcast host and we were recording a week ago and we had a guest who had a very different experience than I do. She was a woman of color. She had, she's an autistic parent of autistic kids. She has very different experiences than I do. And as she was talking, I learned, okay, I need to really understand why racialized autism is the way that it is, that it's different for communities of color. I need to understand and learn about this. I need to understand why it's important for the community to be as intersectional as possible, that we aren't alienating people of color and that they're teaching us and we're learning alongside them rather than feeling alienated from their intersections and their experiences. So I think it really is a big learning curve and a big learning experience for everybody including those of us on the spectrum. And I think sometimes we kind of forget about that. Yeah, I think, I think that's the biggest learning for me is that the more and more I learn, there's, there's still another voice that, that is going to say something different. There's still another experience that is just 
gonna mm-hmm. You know, we we can never get complacent. There's always going to be somebody no. with a different view and a different experience of this. As a parent and as someone with autism, you know, and we all, we you know, my my view of it is different to my son's, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. and, and but that's making me so much more. I mean, that's I look. I, you know, I always uh, when I when we first got the diagnosis as a parent, I really struggled to to cope with the fact there could be an upside right <laughs> but mm-hmm. and that's okay yeah I, well, told, kinda... I, I hear about my parents experience and my mom was originally devastated because they didn't know of course and also that what was out there was so doom and gloom and so negative yeah. that it didn't surprise anybody that it was negative and yeah they and that parents would and parents I understand that there's a form of grief as you think oh my god my child might never do this this might never happen it's okay to have dreams that you had and have to grieve the dreams. And it's just that your reality changes. I am not a parent. And I know one day if I am a parent, I will understand and appreciate what you do and my parents do and all the parents of kids on the spectrum do. I know that I'll appreciate it that much more when or if I ever have a child of my own. Sure. And I, I, th- I think you're right. I think it's, it's that awareness. And I think that, um, uh, that that's where this podcast came from. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I thought, look, I need to speak to lots of people and show my son lots of people and the examples of lots of people, you know, in all walks of life who are, you know, just living their lives, succeeding, some succeeding, some not succeeding, some, ha- you know, actually, it, it really has no bearing on your success any more than if you have, you know, red hair or blonde hair, you know, it's just another variable. And it makes you mm-hmm. just a little bit more unique. And so that doom and gloom passed very quickly because I started to, I just started to realize actually um, this, this doesn't have a negative connotation attached to it at all. It's just, that's what we've been kind of conditioned to think. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, look, the last question I have for you is the first two questions were uh, what challenge do you face? Where are you now? Uh, the last question, I guess, is what what happens next? <laughs> so what, I wish what that I knew what happens. <laughs> I wish I knew what happened next, but I feel like I always have so many different projects going on at any given time. <laughs> so I guess the best place to say what's next in the immediate future is I'm still traveling. So with my, I'm still learning in my job, and when I when I do speak and I am traveling, I'm usually out about once a month or so at this point. So I get to go somewhere new. I get to meet all sorts of awesome people in the autism community and greater disability community. And even sometimes corporations, I get to meet more people than I could ever imagine from all over the country. And hopefully I get to come overseas sometime. That would be really great. And outside of that, I also am writing. So I have writing projects coming out. I have, I write articles for all sorts of publications. So then they are free resources for all of you and everybody listening. So you don't have to, buy books and all that stuff and also because everything on the internet is far more accessible and lives forever so I always have stuff going on in that way I'm trying to get some things done with the employment realm and also it's just a really exciting time and this week actually something that I think some people have heard me talk about but I haven't really been plugging too crazy yet because I don't know how it's going to end up turning out but I've actually been the subject of a documentary which wow. we've been filming for the last couple of months. So actually right now is one of the rare times I don't have the filmmaker with me right now. She's probably going to be upset that I did this interview without her recording <laughs> me actually talking on the phone. Oh, no. so if, she's, if she's listening, I'm very sorry. 
well, I, <laughs> I was just trying to get my own stuff done today. And it's just a very exciting time in our film that she's been working on. She's a grad student at New York University. She's doing it for her senior thesis, and we have a lot of faith in this project because we got to talk to so many different people. She got to come traveling with me. She's, she hung out with my family this past weekend as well. We've just had a lot of fun yeah. in this journey, even though it's a little overwhelming sometimes. And our film, or her film at least, I just feel like by the virtue of having over 70 hours of footage taken of me and my family and everybody I've ever known type thing, wow. that it's our child at this point. And it, that's going to be premiering in February, which I will definitely keep everyone posted with more information. Oh, for sure. That sounds amazing. And we look forward to definitely hearing more about that. I'm, I'm obviously devastated that uh, the podcast won't be in it, but that's not the main point. Um, I'm just really excited. That sounds like it'll be a really amazing piece of work. So let us know when it comes out. Um, Absolutely. Don't, don't be devastated because there's, <laughs> like I said, there's over 70 hours of footage yeah, and the sure. first cut of it and the first cut of it is going to be about 30 minutes. Oh, wow. Well, look, I, I'm not, so, you know, yeah, I'm not going to. So statistically, who knows? Yeah, absolutely. It's all good. And then I hope, and then I think we're hoping to go feature a little bit longer. So more like feature length, so like an hour, hour 15, somewhere in there, but we'll see what happens. I mean, it's a journey that God knows where it's going to end up. Yeah, I mean, and keep us posted. I mean, it sounds absolutely amazing. Um, Haley, uh, we've come to the end of the podcast. I, I, I could carry on talking to you uh, absolutely for hours. Um, there is so much more I want to explore and understand. Um, we'll continue mm -hmm. that journey, I'm sure, on Instagram and various other ways uh, over the next few weeks, months, and years. Um, thank you so much for sharing with us. Um, uh, I've got so much out of listening to you as a parent uh, and I'm sure others will too. And we'll make sure we put some links in uh, into everything. Is there a specific link you want to shout out anyone, if anyone wants to connect or uh, your Instagram handle or anything like that? Absolutely. So to make this as easy as possible, you can visit my website at haleymoss.net or if you want to connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, my handle is at haleymossart. There's an art at the end of my name, A-R-T. So awesome. I awesome. always tell the story that I signed up for social media when I was a teenager, and I thought all I would be posting is my paintings and drawings, <laughs> and obviously things have evolved since then, but the Amazing. name still stuck. Well, that's cool, and it differentiates uh, uh, even more. So uh, great stuff. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, to everybody that's been listening, thank you so much for listening. Uh, please do share. Uh, my dogs are going crazy in the background in case anyone can hear that. Uh, please do share, <laughs> like, comment. Uh, go and check out Haley on Insta. And uh, if there's anyone else you know, uh, anyone who's listening, if there's anyone else you know who we should be speaking to uh, who has a story to tell, please get in touch. Uh, you can reach us via www.uberneuro.com and we're on all the socials. We look forward to speaking to you all uh, again this time next week. Uh, Haley, once again, thanks so much. Um, we'll see you all. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Bye.